Hey guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. We are previewing the Syracuse game, but first we will recap the Virginia Tech game, talk a little bit about the quarterback situation, and uh, yeah, so let's jump into it. And uh, we do have a different co-host with me this week. It is my buddy Josh Marlowe. As you guys know, we are uh, probably the best of friends that you will ever see. So uh, yeah, man, how you been doing, man? I've been doing good. How about you, man? Pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, hey, you got some exciting news. Uh, you're going back to uh, you're you're going to go to broadcasting school. So, uh, you could be uh, you could be uh, on your road towards uh, a career in the uh, broadcasting industry, man. Yeah, man. That's awesome. This week, was tired of the the bullcrap of an everyday job, and uh, I, li- I like talking sports. So, might as well go do some school and. And, and, and go have some fun in life. Well, there you go, man. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh, we watched the Virginia Tech game together, um, and you know, I think we were we we both had the same reaction, disappointment at the end of the game. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that the biggest storyline that comes out of that game for sure has to be the turnovers. You know, we've had these issues before. Um, it, it it reared its head against Miami, and then it comes up yet again against Virginia Tech. You know, when you look back on that game, is that kind of the focus from you on, on as to what happened? I'm not going to necessarily say it was all the turnovers. Um, I mean, they, didn't, they weren't timely. You had the ball at the goal line, you fumble, and this and the other. But I also look at overall just in the red zone and everything. We'd, we'd move the ball well when you settled for that many, as many field goals as we did. Keep in mind, Freeman Jones also missed one that he didn't make. You know, that also plays into the fact when also you turn the ball over. If you put touchdowns on the board, you could probably live with a two with two turnovers, but you only put one, and that and that really hinders you um, in, in, a, in a big game at home against a conference opponent. Yeah, I mean, the fumble from Michael Carter, I think, is the one that stands out to most people on the goal line, was going in to potentially give us a two-possession lead. Um, but also earlier in the game, you had on the first offensive snap of the game a fumble by Antonio Williams. And it turns out both of those uh, turnovers end up resulting in points for Virginia Tech, 15 points off a turnover. So really overall the defense played well. But when you focus on the Michael Carter thing, you know, I think a lot of people are, you know, they, they've kind of been giving him a, a little bit of grief over that fumble. But when you look back on it, I mean, 18 carries for 160. Five yards, you know, is it crazy to think that, you know, maybe we should cut this dude a little bit of slack because really since coming back from his injury, he's looked pretty damn good back there. Yeah, I mean, I also look at the, the defender for Virginia made a great play. It wasn't all, it wasn't like Michael Corn was loosely carrying the football or something like that. The guy from Virginia Tech made a big time play. And it, you know, it to bust his, his balls for the fumble without his production, um, especially when we lost the quarterback, were we even going to be in the game? Because he was pretty much our offense on the sport. I mean, if you look at 18, which is a 165, that's pretty efficient. Um, almost, well, 10 yards a carry. Yeah, I'm not going to bust some guys. I mean, fumble sucks, but, you know, he's a young player. I mean, I've been learning to get better for it. So, yeah, I'm not on the, the hate Michael Carter train because when healthy, he's been our best source of offense for this football team. 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, are are you with me that, that he should be the guy handling the bulk of the carries in the backfield, or you think they should still be splitting him up between uh, Antonio Williams and Jordan Brown? I told you going into the season, they had to find a way to get him the ball 20 to 25 times. He's that good, that explosive. Now, when Antonio Williams has been as good as he was early in the season, it's, I mean, I, I understand it. Um, but no, this guy should be the number one back and should get the bulk of the carries because his production has been unmatched by any of the running backs. All right, yeah. So one of the other issues for sure was the discipline. I mean, you know, one of the guys I think that everybody saw struggle on uh, Saturday night, and he struggled a little bit with this throughout his career, was Nick Polino. You know, he had the holding penalty on the touchdown. Then he has, um, I'm not even sure what the actual penalty was that took away um, the pass interference. It was offsetting penalties instead of putting the ball at the two-yard line. You know, discipline issues continue to be a problem under the Larry Fedora era. How did they clean this up? I mean, we've been asking for years for Larry to clean this up. I mean, is there, are you one of these ones that says this isn't on the coaching staff, this is on the players? Because I think there's a balance uh, between both as to who's responsible. Um, yeah, the part of it is on Larry and the staff, but also the players just got to be smarter. And, and, and I mean, discipline is something to be taught, and then you hone it in. So it's twofold. You know, you're going to blame the coaching staff first because you know that's that's what that's what fans who are going to blame the coaching staff. But I mean, also some of these players, Polino, and these guys, when when they're older and making those silly mistakes, that's the more frustrating. Because they're younger guys, you know. I think us as fans and the media won't live with that because, you know, you're going to expect a 19, 20-year-old kid to, to mess up. But when it's Polino, and it was it wasn't just one or two. I mean, it's constantly every week he's, he's getting penalties, and they're untimely. It's at the worst time he, he picks to have a penalty. That's the frustrating part. But, yeah, Larry's got to do something, whether it's make him run gas or that practice, you know, playing time for stupid penalties. Hey, you get a personal foul. We're going to bitch you. I don't know what the, the median is, but something's got to get done. Because ever since he's been here, this team and penalties, we've always been near the bottom in the conference. Yeah, I, I mean, the other thing that I think is just, just unbelievably head-scratching when it comes to penalties is how do we keep getting these false starts on these wide receivers? We have seen this just about once every single game. I mean... I just, I don't get it. I mean, Anthony Ratliff-Williams has had multiple so far this year. We saw Rontavius Groves took one as well during the game. And I mean, you saw that was one of the ones that we had during the three straight penalties, which at that point was just laughable. Um, I, I mean, it, I, I just don't get it. Am I the only one that's frustrated with those penalties or the snap infraction penalties that we had on Saturday? Yeah, the... A wide receiver should never, ever get called for a false start. You look at the ball before you go into your, you know, before you get to your route. The snap infraction is also something that just, just never happened. Um, it, it's it's mind-boggling. That, and that's another thing that I think we've had multiple times this year. And, and it's, it's frustrating, but yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know what it is because it's like some weeks they come out, and I think it was like Pittsburgh, they looked pretty clean. And then the next time they play, they look completely lost. So something's got to happen from practice and to Saturdays because when, when you're as 
limited as this team is on offense and, and all the other issues this team has, penalties aren't going to help you when you're getting as penalized as much as they are. Yeah, exactly. It keeps putting us in these third and long situations on offense and then on the defensive side of the football. We've seen it multiple times continue drives that we could have had stops on that would have potentially helped to get the offense good field position and maybe gotten them, uh, you know, help them get something going. So, um, you know, I, I think another big storyline that everybody's going to talk about from that Virginia Tech game, of course, Cade Fortin came in and played well. We're going to focus really on just his play now, and then we'll talk about the quarterback situation going forward here in a little bit. But just from what you saw from him, I mean, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw. I thought he looked pretty good. He had a quick release and was able to um, make some smart decisions down the field. Definitely showed better arm strength that we've seen from Nathan Elliott. Were you encouraged by what you saw from him? And has it sort of eased maybe your concerns about what we have at the quarterback position going forward? Uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, what we saw from Cade before the injury was pretty much what we've been wanting to see from Nathan Elliott all season long, which is a guy who isn't necessarily going to beat you, but he's not going to beat ourselves either. He just took care of the football, um, you know, and now granted his arm's bigger. We all knew that, and that was on display. But when there's not a throw there, tuck it and run, he's a good job on that. You know, a, a four-yard run is a win. Now, it might not be pretty or whatever, but seven is better than second and ten, and it changes the play call. And so I thought he did a good job managing the offense um, and just and keeping, you know, the, you know, there was always there was more rhythm, I thought, from Worko with the receivers and this, that, and the other. So um, we hate the injury. don't know the extent of what he is, but, you know, whenever he's back, I feel a lot more comfortable with ever taking snaps and shotgun than I had before the season with Elliott and Chancellor. Yeah, no, I think you're right. The connection with the wide receivers, I think, looked a lot stronger. I think the wide receiving core had a more confidence in him. And you saw also he jump-started the play from the tight ends, which is something that we really haven't had so far this season. I mean, Carl Tucker had the best game of his entire career on Saturday night. Now, granted, the 80-yard pass was from Nathan Elliott, but... You know, he seemed a lot more confident out there running his routes, and they were able to get him the football a lot more efficiently. Um, you know, of course, Daz Newsome with the drop that probably would have put uh, Cade Fortin over 100 yards. But, you know, I, I think at this point, you know, that, that there's something that has to be said about him coming out in the first game against the lunch pail defense um, that, that we've heard so much about and how great it is. And we ended up putting up uh, 522 yards of offense. And part of that was due to Cade Fortin. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think you've got to be encouraged by what you've seen from him. And we're hoping that the injury isn't too severe, um, that, you know, he'll be able to get back somewhat soon. And from what I've heard, um, it's not all that severe. They've said that they've seen him walking around campus with a knee brace on. Um, so that's that's better than the news that we were thinking we were going to hear. It may not be the greatest news because we don't know how long he's going to have to wear that, how, you know, the extent of the injury. And we really can't rush him back because he did suffer a torn ACL last year when he was a senior in high school. So you never want to rush anybody back from something like that and cost them uh, their career. Um, but uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about from the Virginia Tech game, and then we'll move on and talk more about the quarterback situation. 
You know, you looked at the defensive performance, and I don't know about you, but I was pretty happy with what we saw from this defense. I thought they got after the quarterback well. Malik Carney continues to look fantastic. Um, so far, I, I saw this uh, earlier today. One of the guys that's a uh, – I'm not sure exactly what he does, but he's a film room guy. He said he was watching the tape on Malik Carney and went back and looked at his stats. And in only three games, he has five sacks. That's the best ratio so far this season in the country. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's got to be frustrating for Tariel fans to think that he was involved with this shoe scandal or else he could have been on the field the entire time. Um, but I thought he headmanned a defensive line that looked fantastic. I thought the secondary for the most part looked good outside of Greg Ross and, uh, you know, the linebacking core, you know, I, I still think they're, they're, they're always going to be up and down, but I thought they looked pretty good on Saturday night. You know, we were watching the game, making some comments. So what did you think about the defensive performance really up until that last drive? I thought it was more complete, more so than California. Um, meaning, so I, I think it was their best performance of, you know, even the, the drive they gave up that eventually lost us the game. Um, I think that's the best they've looked all year. The defensive line stayed in the back foot for Virginia Tech. You know, the, the secondary, like you said, you know, Patrice Renee had a big game and some other guys, you know, making plays. Um, the linebacker core is the weakness, and they even had some big moments. Um, so, I, yeah, I was very impressed. As a fan, you kind of wonder where is this week in, week out. But I think we can take it whenever we get it because we don't get to see that kind of defense performance a lot in Chapel Hill. Um, the hope is they build on that going up to Syracuse on Saturday. Um, now the you know the, the suspensions kind of hamstring and stuff like that, but yeah, I was very impressed with how you know they played it, and mainly the defensive line was was phenomenal. Yeah, no, I think uh, I, I I didn't see him out there that much. But I really do feel like having, um, you know, both Malik Carney back on the field definitely helps. But having Aaron Crawford back on that defensive line, um, I, I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't see him out there a ton, like I said. But really, I think just having him on the sideline and having him back in uniform, bringing that energy, I, I think that was something that really fired these guys up and had them playing at the level that they did. And then in the secondary, yeah, I mean, if you would have told me that we were missing both KJ Sales and C.J. Cotman against a guy in Ryan Willis who had come in and really rejuvenated the passing game for Virginia Tech, I would have told you that we would have gotten killed. I mean, plain and simple. I, I They would have been doing work all night, but Patrice Rene um, was matched up the entire night on Damon Hazleton, who is the top receiver for Virginia Tech, and he looked fantastic. I know we've had, you know, our our concerns with Renee so far this season, but there's no questioning his performance in that game. Um, Greg Ross, you know, I thought was hit and miss. I, I think that's kind of what you can expect from Greg Ross. He's a guy that can be a rotational player, but he's not a guy that when C.J. Cotman or K.J. Sales returns is needed to be in that starting spot. He's going to need to be a rotational guy. And then the biggest thing that I thought in that secondary, having Miles Dorn back, really helped this group. Having their leader back there. Look, Miles Wolfolk played great in his absence, but it's just something about having a guy that is as good as Miles Dorn is back there that gives you confidence 
um, if you're these cornerbacks. And I thought J.K. Britt really had his best performance of the year. I mean, you know this. I was really high on him coming into the season. And frankly, he's really struggled to this point. But hopefully this is something that can get him going um, this season. So, um, yeah, no, I think uh, I, I think that's going to do it really for Virginia Tech. Did you have any other notes you really wanted to throw out there before we start to delve into this quarterback situation? Nope, I'm good. All right, man. So, yeah, we look at this quarterback situation, and, I mean, this is uh, – I, I, I don't even know what to do with this quarterback situation at this point. I mean, this thing is all over the place. We think we have a solution, and then it ends up to – that that we, we have no solution at all. It literally seems like our dating lives, man. I mean, is, is that a pretty fair comparison? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean – you know, we lose Cade. Um, like I said a minute ago, I don't think it's too serious. I don't think it seems like it's season ending. But at the same time, we don't have a timetable. Um, and with the new rules in the ACC, we're not going to get one. That it's, it's pretty much as long as it's not season ending. That's the thing that you can take from this if you're Toriel fans. If it was season ending, they would have announced it like they did with Chad Surratt. So the fact that they haven't announced anything is good news, shockingly. Um, but Surratt, of course, done for the season with the wrist injury. I don't think, um, frankly, anyone's complaining because Chas Surratt just hasn't turned out to be what we thought he was. So now we got Nathan Elliott, who we know exactly what Nathan Elliott has been this season. We have Jace Reuter. We have Manny Miles, and then we have Anthony Ratliff-Williams. So, um, you know, Larry, extremely vague. I guess this is how I'm going to ask this question. Give me your case for who you think should be the starter come Saturday. I'm probably going to get ripped. I stay with, with Nathan Elliott. You know, he knows the offense. Um, he's proven with games, you know, at, you know, against Pittsburgh that he's capable of winning games in this conference. Um, and then I would have Manny Miles as the backup. And then if you had to resort, then you go to Anthony Ratliff-Williams, mainly because you don't want to if, – if, if you can keep Reuter and Redshirt and not lose that year, I think it's huge down the line in case we have something like this happen again. Right. So, yeah. I mean – and I still think Nathan Elliott probably gives you your best chance to win on Saturday. If you put Ratliff-Williams back there – don't have a, a proven, you know, guy that's going to go up and get the football because Newsom has had problems with the drops, and we're just so young at that position in general. So I'd much rather have him on the outside just to have that breadth. And, I mean, Manny Miles, he's been there since, like, 1980, so there's no excuse. He's least know how to run the offense. Might not be great, but, you know, he should at least kind of do what we asked of Cade Fortin, just don't mess it up if, if, if he had to play. Yeah, true. I mean, look, Manny, you're right. He has been there since his dad's coaching career started, so he's seen the entire coaching career go through. But, uh, no, I mean, Manny also runs routes with the receivers sometimes in practice, so maybe he could be out there. But, um, I, 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 man, dude, I mean, like, Elliot, the, the concern for me with Nathan Elliott is we know exactly what he is, and we keep asking him to try to take these steps forward. And I know that he's trying to, but – you know, we saw it again on Saturday night. There was a play um, in the end zone. Anthony Ratliff-Williams was open, and he just – the ball was thrown three to four yards out of bounds on the left sideline. You know, it's just plays like that where 
you just wonder, will he ever be able to correct that? And, you know, I know that the popular opinion is to go to Jace Reuter, and what you're saying is right. You don't really want to burn the red shirt on him, but there are a couple of different scenarios here that people have to take into consideration. If you burn the red shirt on uh, Reuter, uh, that most likely means that Cade Fortin is done for the rest of the year, because if... Cade Fortin comes back, to me, there's no question that you're going to go with Fortin over Reuter unless Reuter shows you something that Fortin didn't. Unless Reuter comes out here and is like Johnny Manziel, I don't think that we're going to be saying, okay, Cade, never mind, man. Thanks thanks for what you did in that Virginia Tech game, but go ahead and take a seat. Um, either way, though, what's probably going to happen is, remember, Cade has only played in two games, so one of them is more than likely going to get the red shirt. Um, you know, so maybe going to Jace, you've got four games that you can use him because he hasn't been used to this point. Maybe that's an option. Um, because what it is, is that I, I, I also want people to understand this. You can play in four games. It's not that it has to be the first four games of the season. It doesn't have to be any sort of, you know, if you want to play the last four games of the season, you still get a red shirt. As long as you didn't play in the first eight at all, then you get the red shirt. So, um, you know, I think ultimately that could help and allow Reuter to get in there. Um, and then, you know, Manny Miles, like you said, he's been around for so long that he should know this offense inside and out. I mean, at this point, hell, he probably knows the offense better than our own offensive coordinator, Chris Kapilovic. But, you know, depending on who you ask, that might not be too tough. Um, you know, but and then Ratliff Williams, Ratliff Williams, I think that we know what we should go to him for. And that's if we really want to be a Auburn style offense where we're going to pretty much run the football as much as we possibly can throw when we have to. Now, the thing is, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people realize with Anthony Ratliff-Williams, this kid can throw the football. He was a starter here in uh, Charlotte at Butler High School, and this kid was legit. He came to Carolina as a three-star dual-threat quarterback prospect and then made the move to wide receiver. So it's not like this guy has never played quarterback. He did it on a very successful level at a school that has been known to produce some fantastic quarterbacks over the years. So, you know, I, if they need him, I think he's going to be there, but I—, I I guess I'm with you, and, and then they're probably going to go with Elliott. Um, I think Reuter should be one of the guys to keep an eye on, but at the same time, Tar Heel fans have to temper their expectations. This kid had a sub-50% completion rate in, uh, at the high school level. He was pretty much a running quarterback um, that you know threw when he needed to. So, um, you know, I think he's, he's one. And then Ratliff Williams, I think, is that guy that can be there if you need him. But I'm with you. We kind of need that receiving threat out there. Um, you know, I, I think it maybe if Elliott is really struggling that badly, mid-second quarter, maybe at halftime, at that point, look, Manny, I, I mean, he's not going to get the football anyways um, because Nathan Elliott's not going to be able to get it to him. So why keep him out there a wide receiver? If it gets that bad, put him in the backfield, let him take over a quarterback and see what we've got. Um, at, at wide receiver, see what we've got in that running game, and and just I mean it it, it can't be worse than what uh it could could we we saw against CCU or that we saw um in the Miami game. So 
Um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's going to be interesting though. Hopefully, uh, we can we can find a solution at this position. Hopefully, Kate will be okay though. So, um, one quick thing that I wanted to do before we move on uh, to our keys to the game. I wanted to tell you guys about the South Carolina Youth Diabetes Association softball game, um, and it is going to be hosted by our friend uh, Matthew Scott, Matthew Bean Scott, um, who uh, has done so much. This is an event that's really taken off. It's the third year, and unfortunately, we have never been able to make it out there because of uh, what you know prior commitments, but um, it's going to be a great event, guys. I know they've got a ton of former uh, players coming out there, former players from South Carolina. Carolina, a lot of former baseball players, some former softball players as well, and then uh, a couple of Clemson guys I know are going to be out there. Um, current uh, uh, College of Charleston golfer uh, Logan Sowell is going to be out there as well. Um, so guys, go out there if you can, Lexington, South Carolina, to check it out. Uh, search uh, Matthew Scott on Facebook. Uh, or uh, as well as Twitter he's on, or uh, just search the South Carolina Youth Diabetes Association. And guys, head down there, play a little bit of softball, have some fun, and donate, please, to a great cause, the South Carolina Youth Diabetes Association softball game this Saturday uh, in Lexington, South Carolina. So we'll move on to our keys to the game for this weekend you know, we've seen a little bit uh, of Syracuse. I know that you, um, as as well as I, were watching uh, pretty intently uh, that game that they played against Clemson because that was one of the more interesting games that we've seen so far this season in the ACC. You know, when we look at this team for Syracuse, I mean, you know, what are going to be your keys to the game for the Tar Heels if they want to come out with a victory? Um. I think defensively, they've got to be ready to play at a pace they don't even practice against because Syracuse plays at one of the faster tempos in the country. You know, Babers does a great job you knowing when to dictate it. When they pick up a first down, you can expect something, you know, pretty much 12 seconds into the into the play clock. Um, Dungy is a handful. He can run it. He can throw it. I think they just got to be, you know, just sound and disciplined. Kind of like they were for the most part against Virginia Tech, like they were against California. You play your assignment, and this defense has shown it can be formidable. So that's what I look for is, you know, and, and, and can the defensive line get penetration, even though there's a good chance it's going to be on the field 80-plus snaps. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the – the conditioning level this team will be tested Saturday in the Carrier Dome. Yeah, no, you're you're right, and I I mean the defensive line that's one of my big keys to the game. You know, the, the trenches is going to be a key area for us. I mean, we always like to joke about this with the Kirk Herbstreit reference, but um, I mean it's going to be huge on Saturday for these guys. I think uh, you know you look on the defensive side of the football, you've got to be able to get into the backfield, affect these running backs, both Moneal and Dante Strickland, both of them are off to fantastic starts to the season. And if we let them, they will take advantage of the holes that this defensive line is going to give them. Don't put that much pressure on that linebacking core. Do like you did last week. Did a good job of forcing those runs to the outside. The linebackers were able to make plays in space. And that's exactly what we've got to see once again. And in pass rush, you've got to be smart about how you get after the quarterback. There's one thing about getting after the quarterback, trying to get in the backfield and get that initial pressure. But we've seen it plenty of times before, and we've, we saw it once again 
against Virginia Tech with Ryan Willis. You cannot leave these holes in the middle of your defensive line that allow these quarterbacks to get out in space and take advantage of your players being in coverage and having to come back towards the football to make tackles. That allows for these bigger running plays. And, you know, we've always really had this issue. We've got to be able to make sure that Dungy isn't able to kill us with his legs because this guy... He's run for over 400 yards himself this season, leads their team in rushing touchdowns. He's no pushover. So we've got to make sure that we don't let him destroy us on the ground with his legs because at that point, yeah, okay, even if we take care of business in the secondary, we could be looking at another one of these games where we allow 250, 275 yards on the ground. And those are the games, to me, that it seems like those are the games that we get blown out in. When the running games are that effective, those are the games where we are not able to keep up because even just a couple of passes that they are able to hit on, and all of a sudden you're looking at 400 yards of offense, and that's not what we need against us um, considering that our offense right now is not clicking on all cylinders. I mean, we are uh, – I, I looked at it earlier today. I think we are 104th in points per game so far this season, so – um, any help that we can get from the defense, I think, is going to be key. And then, of course, my other keys were, you know, turnovers. You got to be able to, you know, keep a hold of the football. This is a team right now uh, in Syracuse that has turned the ball over uh, 15 times so far this season, um, or forced 15 turnovers. That's what I mean. Um, so far this season, they're plus eight in turnover differential. So, I, I mean, this team, they know how to take the football away from you. They have a free safety in Andre Sisco, who is not even listed as a starter, and he has four interceptions so far this season. Um, we, as a team, have three interceptions the whole season. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's something to keep an eye on. Um, these quarterbacks are going to have to be smart where they go with the football all day um, because if you make one or two mistakes – you could be putting yourself in a big hole. And then discipline, as we mentioned earlier, you've got to take care of, you know, yourself. Don't let don't, don't shoot yourself in the foot. If these guys are going to get you in third and long situations, make them get you in these third and long situations. And there's a chance they can do that considering that they have 20 sacks already so far this season, which is tied for 30 or 13th in the country. So um, that goes back again to the trench play, but the discipline, we've got to help ourselves out, you know, keep that number to maybe three or four, keep it in that area. And I think maybe we can be okay. So um, yeah, any, any other keys that you had for this team for Saturday? Um, they got to be able to run the football uh, with the issues at quarterback. If they can't run the ball, it could be a very long day up there in New York. So, yeah, that means that's what I look at. Be able to run the ball, uh, limit penalties. Um, I mean, really, the basics of that you got to do to win a road game is really what they've got to focus on Saturday. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we turn to our predictions presented by Hustle Hands Worldwide. Guys, go to the Hustle Hands Worldwide um, well, or Facebook page. You can watch the podcast there that we do every Wednesday night. Go to HustleHands.com for the latest apparel as well. And guys, come out to a huge uh, fight night that will be this Saturday um, at the uh, at Center Stage in Noda, 2315 North Davidson Street. 
here in Charlotte. The headliner, Kelvin King versus Derek Hyatt, guys. So come out and support Hustle Hands. Uh, they do great stuff, and it's owned by uh, a fellow Tar Heel, Chad Boucher, and his girlfriend, Dominique McRae. So, um, heading to the predictions, uh, I know uh, what Zach does, he usually will predict the uh, final score of the game. I don't know if you want to do that or if you want to be like I am where you pick against the spread. It's totally up to you, but um, you know, however you want to do it, what is your prediction for this weekend's game up in the Carrier Dome? Yeah, the spread currently, according to ESPN, sits at 10 um, in favor of Syracuse. Syracuse minus 10 at home. So, um, you know, when I look at this game, I think that the heels do match up relatively well with this team. Um, you know, Syracuse has struggled to stop the run just a little bit, so that should play into the Tar Heels' favor. I think Michael Carter in that running game, they have to have a big game in this one. You have to be able to slow down Eric Dungy. Um, you know, when I look at it, I I'm going to take the heels to cover. I don't take them outright, but I do think that the Tar Heels cover just because at this point, man, Syracuse, they feel like they're one of those teams that's kind of on the edge of slipping. And we've seen this before with them where they start the season three and oh, and then fall into the, you know, they get into the ACC, they'll lose a close game or even last year when they beat Syracuse or Syracuse, when they beat Clemson, um, then proceeded not to win a game the rest of the year. So it feels like it might be that time of the year for Syracuse. The Heels are hoping that's the time of the year for them, and maybe they're able to catch them off guard. But um, I'll take the Heels to cover, but I think ultimately in the end, uh, Syracuse pulls out the victory. Should be a good game. Hopefully the Heels can pull it out, though. They're going to have a real opportunity to try to get this season going in the right direction after what we saw from them last week. Uh, and one of the things, I mean, uh, that, that I wanted to comment on really quickly, um, I know a lot of people that probably listened to this went to the game this past Saturday night. EDIs did a fantastic job. The environment in Keenan Stadium was unbelievable. We heard it. Uh, you guys probably heard it on this podcast from Coleman Reich, who we went and talked to uh, on Monday night after we scouted him. And he said it's the best environment that he has seen in his time in Chapel Hill. And it was unbelievable. It was so loud there. You guys did a fantastic job to help these guys out and make this a tough environment to go in and play so I encourage you guys to keep that up um, I know I'm going to be trying to get out to a game I'm assuming Josh is going to be able to try to get out to a game again later this year hopefully but uh, right now you know money wise is going to be the biggest issue for us um, but we're hoping we can find a way to get out there sometime this season and hopefully the environment 
uh, will be the same. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up, man. Uh, pretty uh, pretty successful having you on, man. Yeah. Uh, had a good time, buddy. Yeah. So uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. As always, you can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn.com or the TuneIn app. This week's game at Syracuse will kick off at 12.20 p.m. on Raycom Sports Network or ACC Network Extra if you live outside of the Carolina viewing area. Via the Watch ESPN app is where you can watch that, by the way. Jones Angel will be on the call for the Tar Heel Sports Network. That's 99.3 FM and 1110 AM WBT in Charlotte, 97.9 FM and 1360 AM WCHL in Chapel Hill, and 106.1 FM WTKK in Raleigh. For others, please check your local listings. Thank you guys for listening. Thank Josh for stopping by and hanging out with us here today to do this preview. And as always, go Tar Heels!